Hey everyone, it's just me today. Welcome back to Behind the Pixel. My name is Will, I'm the co-founder of Open Pixel Studios. We recently got an opportunity to speak to the seniors of the College of Arts and Media at UC Denver. And uh, we thought we'd release this episode as just a bonus. So take a listen. If you're a student, if you're someone who maybe got laid off, if maybe you're a person who's looking to hire other folks, we give a lot of advice on how we got started, how we got our first jobs, how we hire today, and how we go about networking and thinking about events. So check it out. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next week. Guys, thank you so much for, for joining us today. It's really special to, to be able to have guest speakers. And, you know, I really love having you, you guys speak to us because you have a really, I think, unique perspective about, you know, the main topic that I, I really want to cover today. I mean, we can talk about whatever we want, but these folks, just for context, these are our seniors. They are all very soon to graduate. Yeah. Yeah, they are all stressed out like crazy about next steps in their lives. And you guys took a pretty cool, unique path. It took you a little bit to get there, but you started your own company. I think that's pretty awesome. <laughs> so uh, anyway, I don't want to spend the whole time talking. I have some you know, talking points we can go back to, but I want to keep this as conversational as possible. Audience, conversational as possible. Feel free to pipe up if you have questions throughout. But maybe we'll just start with, can you guys just introduce yourselves and talk a little bit about OpenPixel and, and the kind of work that you do? And um, yeah, we'll start there. Yes. Hello, everyone. My name is Catherine. Boy, what do I do? I run a company. That's fun. <laughs> We've been doing that for the last seven years now. Um, but primarily by trade on the creative side, I am a character animator. So my day-to-day -day currently looks like a little bit of character animation, a little bit of project management, a little bit of creative direction, a little bit of marketing and sales. Uh, we wear many hats at our studio, as you've probably heard in the past with either freelancers or other folks who run their own business. And yeah, I've been mostly in the video game space for over a decade. I won't give the whole spiel just yet, but that's kind of where I am. Hence the giant headphones. I am definitely a gamer. <laughs> Uh, yeah, my name is Will. I'm co-founder of OpenPixel Studios. We've been doing that for about seven years. We started with a very small number of clients. We've moved over to roughly around 50 or so that are recurring on a, on a yearly sort of basis. I primarily as a creative kind of come from lighting and compositing, finishing of, of sorts. I worked in VFX for a little bit, did a little bit of that. That's where I, I worked with Jeremy. I, I met Jeremy long time ago in college, but we've been in touch since then. I took a little bit of a diversion from animation and computer graphics and all that. I went into sales for a bit. I started working for AT&T, doing some sales stuff, figured out that that's not necessarily what I wanted to do. Went back into animation, uh, working at some animation studios. And uh, yeah, so now we're running our own thing. Maybe we could start. I, I love that you brought up that you kind of did some different things, Will, that you kind of like took a diversion into, into sales. I remember in a slightly similar vein, I took some detours into working at Best Buy 
several times <laughs> uh, before, you know, my career kind of locked itself in. So I was wondering if, if you could both maybe talk about what was the kind of transition like from college to, you know, your first few jobs to, you know, eventually what made you decide to want to kind of start your own company? My detours were all in like babysitting and like working at museums and teaching. So that was always like my go-to backup. So I think my my first note is there that like even even now as a company owner, I still have backup plans. You never know. So it's good to have backups for whatever transition is coming your way because you can't there's there's just things in the industry that we can't predict all the time. But yeah, in terms of how I got started, I I was very lucky at um in Massachusetts there was I had a class for character animation and the person who was running it at the time happened to also work at a local video game studio. And so I remember this was when I, I think I was a senior at the time. I said, Hey, you know, professor, I'm going to be here for the winter term. Do you have any internships at your studio? Of which she said, I don't know. I'll let me ask. Lo and behold, I became their very first intern. So it wasn't something that the studio had actually thought about or prepared for, which I think is a really interesting thing that like, you never know until you ask. There's definitely studios out there that will say like, you know, they'll have a page, but they won't have anything about internships or careers or anything like that. It does not hurt to ask what they what they offer, if anything. And if they don't offer something, it might be an opportunity for them. So yeah, I started at uh, a company called Hit Point Studios. They were straight up in a barn. I worked next to like, I drove in next to the chickens and like, and the goats and the sheep. And then I would work on video games and then go home. It was a really weird thing, but it was very cool to have that opportunity right off the bat. So by the time that I got out of school, they hired me on full time, which was really nice. So I think that's, you know, and that's not to say that that I had many other paths and turns along the way, but that's just how I got my first one. So maybe we'll start there. Yeah. So when I graduated, I, I honestly didn't know what I was going to do. Honestly, I don't know what I'm doing now, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, that. no, I, I, um, I had these technical skills, but I think when I, I was in college, I was thinking of like the practicality of, of work and like what, what practical skills do I have to sell? Really? I went into as a bank teller, I think it was a bank teller for a little bit right after college. I didn't go straight into animation work. I was looking for jobs. I think it was difficult at the time. I graduated in 09. That was right after 08's like housing crisis. And so a bunch of things were happening. Yeah. Yeah. Big dip. And so I, I think it was a friend of a friend of a friend. I think one call from Jeremy was like, hey, our studio is hiring. And Jeremy and I had, I think, worked on something during college. So it was like, at that point, it wasn't professor and friend. It was like coworker at, at, at the school, like some someone I knew across the way that we were working on something together. And I think you were the first time that someone called me and said, hey, we have like a creative job for you. Would you want to come in? And like, like, it was like an audition. They had, they gave me some test things that I had to do. And I think I started in rotoing, uh, like roto artist, uh, back when like AI didn't already do that pretty well. So that was like manually hand rotoing 
cups for Dunkin' Donuts commercials or something like that. Cool. Um, cool. Very cool. <laughs> very cool work. I mean, it was for me at the time. I was like, oh my God, Dunkin' Donuts. It was right, like right. huge. Uh, these days I'm like, okay, I know how that works. That was sort of my first real gig. Aside from that, I think my other real first was getting a job without any sort of internal help. I went to a networking event and this was, I was going sort of back and forth during my AT&T time back to where college was because they were having networking events. Like there were these things that they would throw on for creative people to get together and gather and talk. And at one of those creative events, I met someone who owned a studio and they were just there. And I started talking to them. We were talking about lighting and compositing. And I was telling them about how I did some of those things in college. And I showed them something that I had worked on. And that impressed them enough to say like, hey, would you be willing to work? I think that was my sort of other first major breakthrough. That was a studio called Andivin Studio. And they were doing work similar. It wasn't a barn, but it was like pretty close to like a river, super small, like maybe six people at the time. And the boss was like working right next to us. And, you know, we could see his screen and he could give us feedback. It was very sort of intimate in that setting. Yeah, very cool. I love kind of like the 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 different. I didn't know you worked in a barn. That's cool. I, I love the different paths that that you guys took. I'm just curious, what are your current backup plans? <laughs> like I mine, think- I know what mine is. Yeah. I I have two. One of them is to um, like sign up for the USPS and just carry mail. Yes. Right? Nice. And my second <laughs> is to ten bar. Either. Oh, experience doing but like you know those are my backup plans different yeah because both develop Mm -hmm. different sets of skills which is really great i think that i can i can speak for myself here that my i think today my backup plan is to do something for like a nonprofit. like i want to and i think this ties a little bit into where our company is right now but like i want to be doing more impactful work on a day-to-day basis and like find purpose and meaning and in everything that we're doing and we're trying to build that into the company right now but if that doesn't work out i will go work at a nonprofit, which might be nice to like i think there is something to the idea of like i also worked at anzavin for a little bit and during that time i was also in animation school at animation mentor which is online character animation school and that was a lot to be like animating eight hours a day and then go home and then animate for another three or four hours to be able to like do homework for class. I took like breaks in between the terms just so I didn't burn out because it was very easy to do. But there is something or something that speaks to me is having by the end of the day, whatever that job is that you're working at, still having the motivation to work on your creative skills and to be able to like stay motivated in that process is something that I really admire and cherish. So I think that that is something like to be off the screen all day, like working at a nonprofit and then come home and then be like, yeah, I do want to work on my short film. I want to follow my passion project. Like that would be, that would be a cool backup for me. I think my backup is to take a year. I think I've saved up enough money on my own to sort of survive for a year on my own timeline. And I would probably start up an automation business for creatives. A lot of the times with creatives, I see a, a an issue <laughs> where a bunch of people who are doing freelance work or even running small studios do a lot of manual work and they're not familiar with automation. We've automated a lot of processes internally here 
that take care of a lot of the things that sort of we don't necessarily want to do or take care of steps that we think are just long and tedious. And so I would probably go into some sort of consulting work for that with like a year of like figuring out exactly if I want to do that and maybe looking into my own creative work as well. Yeah. That's why I say like between now and like back when I was, you know, jumping around between different jobs, I I always thought about like jobs as a um, survival mechanism, right? It's like, I have to work no matter what, I will take whatever I can get. And I realized that there were a lot of different jobs that I took over the years that actually then had transferable skills into animation, which is mostly on the like communication, team building, project management front, which is actually, I think, one of the reasons why I got as many jobs as I did over the years, because I could then like cross communicate across departments and ask the right questions and be able to be, you know, just a conversational person in that way. So in my transition between a couple different jobs, like I worked at I cleaned hotel rooms. I worked at a children's museum. I taught summer camp for a number of years. I babysat. Like I did so many other things that I think at the time those backup plans were like just to take what I could to survive. But I think nowadays I think about it more like, well, what would what would also still be fulfilling in some way if I if I had the choice, right? Not I know that not everyone has the choice and we have to take the job that we can for because finances are real when you get out of school. So yeah, I, I just think it's worth being mindful and thinking through that. Well, your backup plans sound way more adult than mine. <laughs> but no, that is that is really interesting to, to kind of hear how like those other experiences prepare you for those, for the, the you know, the real job, the career job. I guess that's a good segue into me asking, like, what are some of the things? So you you two own your own company. I'll come back to to that and and that perspective in just a second. But like, well, yeah, from that perspective, like, what do you look for when you're hiring freelancers or fr- hiring fresh talent? And then also, like, what was it? Uh, you started to talk about this, but what what were the skills that you found? valuable to get those kind of first jobs to kind of kickstart you out of the cycle of, you know, hotel cleaning jobs, Starbucks type jobs, Best Buy type jobs, things like that. Like what were the qualities that springboard you into that that first opportunity? I'll take it from the sort of small studio trying to hire. What we look for in future candidates, we're not currently hiring. We haven't actually hired our first employee. We've been doing contractors that we hire consistently on either a per project basis or on a sort of shorter contract basis. And typically what we're looking for is me personally, two things. Number one is, can you communicate well enough with me that I trust you to tell me like what, what's wrong? I think when you're a student, there's a lot of times when you spin your wheels, that was a term that my professor used to always say, don't spin your wheels. As soon as you get to a point where you can't go forward, tap someone on the shoulder and tell like talk about what's what the issue is. Oftentimes I was self-conscious about like whether or not, okay, if I if I tap someone about this issue, does that sound like I don't know what I'm doing? Or does it sound like I should know this particular solution? I think that it's better, just more efficient to just ask someone who has done it before or someone who's next to you or someone who's part of the company. And 
that's kind of what we're trying to get at is like through a conversation, can I figure out if you're going to ask me if there's a problem or are you going to ask me about it? That's kind of what I'm trying to get to. That's number one. Number two is like, do you have the creative skills? Like, I think there's, it's secondary, I think, to the communication part, you know, having good communication skills, practicing that, talking to people, that's great. I think the creative part is, what do you specialize in specifically? Like, what is it that you actually love doing? Is it lighting? Is it comping? Is it rendering? Is it, you know, are you a render wrangler and you want to like get everything organized? Are you like, you know, keen on lighting something specific and like explore different kinds of emotions through light? Like whatever your thing is, like if you can define it and say like, this is what I love doing, And that's what I would love to do all the time. Any small studio is going to have multiple roles for you. Because they're small, they're going to have extra things to do. If there's a person who like, not necessarily, I hate the term generalist. That's kind of where I fall, honestly, but I hate it because there's really no, I can't sell generalist. I'm not great at everything. I know a little bit about all the pieces of the pipeline and the workflow, and I can probably do it, whatever it is you're asking me to do. But I think it's really hard to talk about that in an interview to say that like, I'm just a generalist and I know everything. I really love lighting. I really love going in and trying to explore how I can make a particular scene feel more dramatic or more fun or more sad, whatever. That to me speaks to something that you're really good at and keen at and looking to improve upon. And so, you know, tie that with like what your passion is. And I think you have a really good sell. Like I'm passionate about, I don't know, just going to throw something out there. Cars. I'm really passionate about cars. So you should be looking for lighting and compositing jobs for cars or something like that. I really want to work on car commercials. I don't know. Like that's just an example. But if you could tie those two things in there and, and explain that to someone in an interview, I think that's a good step forward. I guess I can add that I I acknowledge that when we're looking for either freelancers or interns or, you know, even potential clients, we have a vetting process for that too. I, I want to acknowledge that we are kind of a little bit of an anomaly in some cases, because a lot of times we we believe in remote work always. We believe in flexibility of hours. We believe in a lot of different things that you might not typically get at a larger company, I would say. Typically, corporations are they're, they're corporations for a reason. And so it is worth noting, but to Will's point earlier, that the smaller the studio, the more they might ask you to do, to do different roles. And the bigger the studio is, the more you're going to be hyper-focused on one particular role the entire time. Sometimes for eight hours a day, sometimes for 12, depends on the company. But I will say that at least what I typically see for what HR representatives are looking for, it's always the idea of they're looking at your reel first, right? When you submit all your all your things, they look at your reel first and they are trying to ask the question, can you do the work that we're asking for? And the answer is going to be either yes, no, or they have potential, right? So there's like a possibility there. Then they're looking at your resume and that's where they're really, they're asking more of questions about like communication and leadership and soft skills. They want to know like, Yes, the resume is there to like back up some of the the work that you did, but they can tell from the reel alone, like, yes, you can do that work. The resume helps to prove that you are working at the place you said you work, but they're also looking again for like, like when I had um, that hotel job, I think when I would apply, I put 
a list of things that I did, but they weren't tasks. They were the outcomes that benefited me for the animation industry. So, right. So if I'm saying something like, oh, I cleaned 30 rooms in a day, like that's just the task I was given. That's not the actual outcome and why that that works for the industry. Instead, it's more like I coordinated with a team of 12 to delegate out, you know, rooms per capacity load and then manage that capacity. That's way different because then they're going to have more questions to ask you. They're going to be more curious about what that environment was like. So you're trying to make engaging questions for your interview process, so to speak. And then they'll look at your cover letter to be like, okay, this person can clearly do everything we're asking. They have a lot of interesting skills. And also they're looking at your cover letter and also they seem like a pretty cool person. So yeah, let's bring this person in and see what we can do and, and make that happen. It's just a different way of thinking about it than I think what is, I feel like a lot of times when students, even myself came out of school, I had no idea how to prepare for that. And so I, I try to just mention it because I think it's helpful. Yeah, that's actually awesome advice about how to connect those seemingly not relevant experience, professional experiences to something, you know, useful for the types of jobs that you're trying to get, right? We're going to totally like go through this, right? We So part of this class, just for context, is they have to, they have to prepare their professional materials a couple different times throughout the semester. And then okay. we look at them and give them feedback and stuff like that. And that's absolutely a conversation I'm going to have with some of you, most of you about like, you know, what's the right amount of other experience to put how do you sell it i love will mm. how you kind of put that like i can't sell being a generalist well you know you've clearly come up with a way to right and so it's all about selling what you are who you are and what you're about yeah can you sell it i love the i love how you put yeah. that i see a arm back there yeah, yeah. I have a question. what can you tell us about like networking like this is good advice for finding those jobs and when you get the chance to be in the interview but what, what can you do to try to get someone's attention to even be able to talk to them in the first place? hundred yeah. percent. I, I got, I got tons of advice here. <laughs> big that my second big win was cause I was doing this. So every networking event that I originally went to was an AT&T networking event. I don't care about AT&T. AT&T didn't care about me. Right. But they sent us to a particular thing and I got to practice and in an environment where you don't necessarily care about the outcome, you're a little bit more relaxed. There's a little bit less pressure. And so what I would encourage you to do is go out and find networking events that have nothing to do with VFX, animation, production, whatever. Just find a creative, maybe not even creative. It could be any kind of networking event, something that you don't care about the outcome and just practice on talking about who you are. And typically I, I encourage three things. When someone asks you, oh, hey, how are you? What do you do? Oh, three things. One thing you did in the past, something that you're doing currently now, and one thing you want to do in the future. And if you just have those three things that you, most things come in threes. If you just practice those over and over on the next person, on the next person, by the time you get out of maybe one or two or three networking events that you don't care about, you're absolutely ready to go to one that you do care about. Now, there's plenty of ways to find events online. There's Eventbrite is a great uh, resource, but you know Google <laughs> is a great resource as well. Try to get to a place where you've practiced enough and then you attack your first one. I personally 
had a little, what, what we call a CRM. It's a customer relationship management system. I built one from a spreadsheet. It's very simple. Who did you meet? And when did you contact them? Events as a whole are about follow-up. You meet so many people at an event. The goal is not to just meet them. The goal is to follow up with them afterwards, especially the ones that you really care about. Now, going up to someone, really, really difficult. One of the things that the advice that we got from someone who we had on our podcast, they talked about using vulnerability to your advantage. Be no, be vulnerable. Go up to someone and say, hey, look, I don't know anyone here. Go up to the organizer. Go up to someone who might be standing by themselves. They're totally, I do that. I go to an event and stand by myself and just wait until someone comes over. <laughs> Try that. Yeah, because, because people are there to remember that the people who are there are also trying to meet new people. So it, it should be a, a nice, comfortable place, but it does take some practice. So that would be my advice. I feel like I can add a little bit to this, that one way in terms of the the practice that I got before I got out of college and even afterwards is that I volunteered at a lot of animation conferences. One of them was SIGGRAPH, one of them was CTN, uh, one of them was the Annie Awards. And when I volunteered, there are a couple of benefits. One, you can apply for scholarships so they can pay for your, your actual hotel and your flight and all that good stuff. Two, you get a full access pass to the conference, which places like SIGGRAPH can be like $1,000 just to get in. And three, you get different benefits specifically for volunteers. So you get things like sometimes portfolio reviews. Sometimes you get specific workshops and panels that are only available to volunteers. A lot of times you get the ability to like swap schedules. So if there's like a panel you still really want to go to, but you have a shift that time, you can swap with somebody else and then you can still meet your hours that you're supposed to volunteer while going to the things that you want to go do. That was a big, I, I hate the term game changer, but it, it was in that way for me. I think it allowed me to make new connections. It allowed me to practice in an environment where like, I really, I wasn't sure if I was going to come back in the same way next year as a volunteer. And I didn't, I was able to like actually attend in the future. Uh, but it led to a lot of really interesting opportunities. Like one that I volunteered at, I ended up just being in line constantly at the, at the, like, I was, I was like an hour in line for everything I wanted to go to. And the person who was running the event just like kept seeing me in line being like, wow, you, you must really love like this panel over here, this, this thing here. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm so excited. And we talked afterwards, going back to Will's follow-up point, like I thanked him because he got me like a signed copy of this short film that I really loved. So I thanked him. I said, you know, it'd be great to connect for next year. And he put me on for next year. He, I got to help with the computer animation festival. I got to help organize and lead a panel for like open source software. It was really interesting. And then all of those skills built towards what I do now. So it's like, you never know where those opportunities are going to lead. So don't be afraid to kind of take a leap of faith there to to either volunteer or attend those conferences because they do, they're, they're like Will's point, they're a perfect place to practice because everybody's kind of on the same playing field too. They're all trying to build relationships. That's my biggest thing for networking is that anytime it feels transactional, they will never create the bond, <laughs> right? The, they'll never be able to help for the future if you're just going up. We always like to say, ask for advice, not a job. So if you're meeting people and you have a goal of hopefully 
working for that company in the future, you're not just coming up and saying, hey, are you hiring? Because that feels to that person like, in a way, like they're being used as a transaction to get to the thing that you want to go to. So it's just thinking about what kinds of questions you can create for them that builds a relationship. Because ultimately, like even like Will was saying before, like a lot of times the industry is still and will always be to some degree based on who you know. Like getting a job sometimes is based on who you know. That's that is part of the reality of it. It's not to say that that happens all the time, but it definitely has happened. It's happened for me. It's happened for Will. I imagine in some cases it might have happened for Jeremy. Yeah. So like build the relationships because you never know where there's those are going to come from. And I'll stop there for now because I know I can ramble about this. No, that's great. I think that is. I mean, Al, did that help? Yeah, that was, that was perfect. Actually, yeah. Down. yeah, good. I think I see another, another hand, hand back there. Yeah. 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 Go ahead, Brenton. Yeah. Uh, since you volunteered at SIGGRAPH, are the organizers, is there going to be a cap about how many volunteers uh, they're willing to take? Because like Al's very interested in maybe applying this coming summer. It's uh, in Denver. It is in Denver. Oh. Yes. Which is very cool. Um, If you're going to apply, you have to look very early because typically when they when they're planning, they're planning like a year out. I remember when I applied for like if it was this summer, I think their applications for student volunteers was in October. So you might have missed the deadline. It might be worth checking. But I'd say they I don't think they typically have a cap. They usually have about when I was in it, it was like 150 volunteers at least. So it was a good amount of people. So I would say like don't be afraid to reach out. Even if, I mean, that's to your point earlier, like the Annie Awards were a great example of this, where the Annie Awards are animation awards out in LA every year. They didn't have anything on their page. Like they they had a volunteer thing, but it had already closed. I just asked. I said, hey, I'm going to be out in LA. I'd love to help out. And they were like, yeah, sure. Come on through. So you never know. I know SIGGRAPH has a bigger application process than just, yeah, come on through. But it might be worth it to ask them about and see if there's any wiggle room. And if there's not, one of the reasons or one of the ways that I got in, I have I quote unquote was a volunteer for one of the years because I had known and connected with somebody who was not a, a volunteer, but they were like a department head because there's like different sectors. There's like the technical paper side, there's the computer animation festival side, and each of those have chairs and committees within them. So that's another avenue to go as well. You could directly ask, you know, look at SIGGRAPH's website, see who the team is and say, oh, hey, I'm, I'm interested in helping out on the computer animation festival. Maybe I'm not a student volunteer in the same way, but I can help out to some degree. There are ways around that, yes. <laughs> Thank you. I'll just chime in. Um, so I, how many of you check your university email? Oh, good. How many of you are lying to me right now? Okay. <laughs> um, I sent an announcement about it at the uh, before the semester started about SIGGRAPH student volunteer. The deadline is uh, March 4th. Oh, oh good. Awesome. Okay. Nice. That's great. Still some time. I was going to send out another reminder about that later. Please do um, it. Do it. Yes. Yeah. I'm worth it. We can talk about it later, but there might be things about current versus versus alumni 
Anyway, yeah. I think the student volunteer goes up until two years after you graduate, oh, if I'm okay. not mistaken. Yeah. And I think it's like if you if you're a student volunteer and you're past the point of graduation, you can apply to be like a leader volunteer, which is a little different. Yes, yes. The leaders, right. Those are different. You have to have already been a regular volunteer. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I wanted to follow up a little bit about, you know, we we're talking a lot about like job getting and networking in the context of small companies like yours, right? How do people find these elusive unicorn mm. small companies like yours? Because I, you know, it's really easy to find the Disney's and the Pixar's and the DreamWorks and, and whatnot. But as you say, like smaller places might not even advertise or even have an entry-level position or internships available. So how do you find these places? I, I've got some options. Yeah, yeah. You go first. No, you go go, first. no, no, you go. I think you, your, your answer might be more extensive than mine. I, I know, Mine's I just like so go to one. Here. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess mine, mine started with like when I was in Massachusetts, it was like just straight Google search. I literally just searched like animation studios in Massachusetts and then just found a list on like production hub or some other website. I put that to Will's point in a spreadsheet and then I went through every single one to see which one was still in existence because not <laughs> all of them were. And then I called them and I said like, hey, I, you know, I didn't know there was an animation studio out here. Like, I'd love to get to know you guys. Like, and again, not to ask for a job, but it was like, are you guys willing to like go out for lunch or something? Because I'd love to just hear about like your experience and what the studio is like and all that stuff. So Google search was my go-to. Then I, I asked a lot of and especially because nowadays there's a lot more organizations that are supporting animation on different fronts. There's like, you know, you've got women in animation, Latinx in animation, Asian Queens in animation, Rise Up animation. There's there's so many different animation organizations. There was specifically one in New York called Diverse Tunes. And like each of those organizations, I could call up and say, hey, do you know anybody or do you know what studios are in this city or this state? And they might say, no, but here's somebody who would know. And that's typically like the thread of connection again. Like you're starting to build relationships, yes, with the organization, but also with people within there who might be able to help you out. And then I did LinkedIn, I think. I think I looked, I searched on LinkedIn, like animation studio, and again, the state, and kind of went through there and, and saw what whatever I could find. But yeah, those are kind of my three areas, I think. Will, you might have more. Yeah, you guys are in a really exciting time. I know it doesn't feel that way, <laughs> but um, it is actually very easy to find, way easier than it was to find when we were coming out of school. There are tons of subgroups that kind of collectively join up. There's a ton of studios in Denver, but usually they, so small studios, what they do to advertise themselves is they jump on databases. So one big one is Clutch. I forget, is it .io or .com or something? Yeah. yeah. They're an aggregator of companies that would basically say, like, if you're looking for these services, you know, it's not it's not geared towards students. It's geared towards other people who are looking for production companies. Clutch is great. LinkedIn is fantastic. There's a bunch of groups on Facebook I know of that are, like, creative folks that you can ask, like, where do you work? How do you do, you know, stuff like that. And then there's conferences that small studios go to. So la last October, we were in Denver for something called Camp MoGraph. 
which was a, a sort of camping outdoors adult day camp, but also talking about motion <laughs> graphics and animation. Um, it, was and it was fantastic. Yeah. So there are different organizations that you can find for sure uh, in all parts of the country. These are happening in Chicago and Denver and in Florida, here in Albuquerque. We're in Albuquerque right now. Yeah. So across the board, there's so many easy ways to find these things. Quick Google search, but Clutch is a great one. LinkedIn is a great one and Facebook groups. One thing I want to acknowledge too is that in the U.S. in particular, I'll speak for for the U.S. here, there are different hubs of different types of industry sort of sectors in different places. So like when Will says that there's a lot of animation studios in Denver, it's very motion graphics heavy. There's That's tons true. of motion graphics studios. It might be a little bit harder to find something like a feature film studio. Those are typically out in California. If you look into a place like in our area of New England, Massachusetts, we have a lot of small video game companies because there are video game organizations out there. So like any place that has a PAX, like PAX East is in Boston, usually they have a thing the day before, which I, I, I'm assuming all the other PAXs do too, which would be really cool. But like in Massachusetts, they have a Made in MA day, which is not associated with PAX technically, but it is an event the day before where all the local animation studios, video game companies will come and demo what projects they have going on in that moment in time. Like that's a huge opportunity to go meet with every local developer that's in existence in Massachusetts because that's their like main hub of events. So every state sort of does it differently in terms of what their focus is. Video game hubs like Austin's a big one for video games. There's when I, I worked out in San Francisco for a year or so, and that was a big hub for video games. And they each come with their own pros and cons, which we can get into. But it's it's that idea of like knowing not only what studios are there, but what you're looking for. Are you looking to work in feature film and television? Are you looking to work in commercial work? Are you looking to go into visual effects? That's where you have to like be more granular about the search that you're doing to kind of find what opportunities there are. Yeah, that's a good point. I do want to pull this advice out and just kind of broadly speak about how companies market themselves and how people should think about this. So anytime we're thinking about marketing as a company, we're thinking about meeting our clients where they are. And you should probably think about it in the same way. You should meet the people who you're trying to work for where they are. And where they are is trying to market to the folks who are going to hire them. So you might want to think about going to conferences that are about kind of where where those folks are. The, the, uh, I think DICE is a big one if you're into games. Um, that's like where the production heads of games come from or go to. That one is in Austin. It's right before uh, GDC. I think that's another great one. GDCs in San Francisco. Yeah, but it happens at the same time. So mm-hmm. right before and then GDC. So yeah, I would just say look into conferences in that way. And even being adjacent. So like a lot of times when we network with folks that we're looking for, a lot of times we'll go to like film events because there might like film is kind of animation industry adjacent. So sometimes there are a lot of producers there who will work in both animation and live action. So something to keep in mind that there's there's crossover that happens in different sectors of the industry. Yeah. I have like eight more questions, but I want to <laughs> go for it. Yeah. I want to first, you know, open it up to the room and make sure that we cover anybody else who has any questions. And also I want to be respectful of your guys' time. We've been going for about 40-ish minutes. Um, and I think I said, you know, 45 to an hour. So, you know, oh, it's all good. Yeah. I don't want to take up 
too much of your time. So anyway, does anybody want to ask? I have a question. What are some of the challenges you guys have noticed working at smaller studios with stuff like all the striking going on? And where do you like go from there? How comfortable are you being in smaller studios? Yeah. So I, I mean, we can speak about like last year was very hard for many studios. Uh, and I, small I, and I, large, small and large. Yeah, yeah. I would say that that even includes ours to a certain degree. We were lucky that the way in which we structured our company allowed us to have enough padding and wiggle room in our finances to make sure that like, even if there was a slow time, like when things are being striked <laughs> or when there are lots of layoffs and jobs are harder to come by, that we were prepared for that kind of weathering of a storm. Not every studio operates that way. I remember going to a networking event once where someone was giving out advice and they said, you know, if, if your company has two months of financial runway, you're in really good shape. And that to me, I was like two months. That's like, how am I going to pay all my employees? How am I going to prepare for the future? Like I, I can't. So we just thought about that a little bit differently. So we were very lucky that when this happened, like we were okay. But I think a lot of times it's, it's about trying to weather storms. I think every studio is, there's going to be a different answer for this every time, but every studio is going to handle these situations different. I'm trying to think if there were other things that we kept in mind during that time, Will. I mean, I'll be, I'll be blunt. So the, the financial consultant will always tell a business owner to cut your expenses by a certain amount and like give yourself a raise or a bonus. Like that's kind of what every executive at a top level wants to hear. And some people follow through with that. They slash a percentage of their jobs or other expenses. Like it could come from anywhere. But typically the highest expense of any company is an employee because it's a long-term commitment. You're investing in them. Now, not all companies think of it as an investment. They just think of it as like hourly workers. So it is disheartening. The strikes, because of the type of work that we do, didn't quite affect us as much as other studios that we know. We don't typically work on big, large feature films. We're more in sort of the corporate marketing space currently. I think we're shifting and moving towards figuring out this idea of like how to find meaning in work. And we're kind of working through that now. But it, we, we really didn't have the same amount of impact that I think other studios did. Now, I'm a part of a, of a sort of internal group of large number of like studio owners. And that internal chat with like a bunch of owners, like contemplating layoffs, like, what do I do here? Like, th there was a lot of like anxiety that was driven by the strikes for sure, especially because they rely on that. They rely on that work in order to move forward. So yeah, it can be disheartening. I think, you know, one of the things that because we're pivoting now, a lot of companies pivot and then they rehire. So, you know, I know of companies who let go of six or seven employees, figured out a different avenue for selling their stuff, rehired those six or seven employees. So it just kind of depends. Every studio is going to operate differently and economy impacts everything. It's not just studios. It's like, across the board. Like you would never think that something in tech would affect creative, but it totally does. AI becomes a thing and all of a sudden all these layoffs also happen. So yeah, it's interesting to think about. I, th I think it's worth as like an individual to be mindful of what's happening in the, the industry and why it's happening. There are times where we've seen a number of things happen. We've seen, and we've been a part of them as well. Like I, I remember studios that I worked for where 
we were working on a project for an entire year and it was it was an exclusive deal with Microsoft that was like sell for their Surface tablet. And because the tablet didn't do well in sales one quarter, it trickled all the way down to this one studio and the project was canned a year into its production. And so that's kind of crazy that that happens, but it is sort of the nature of things. There are things you can't predict. So I think it's worth having like a sense of what to look for and what red flags to consider, especially like, I think we never talk about the idea that you can say no to a job. <laughs> like if there's something that doesn't feel like the right fit, or it's like you, you're getting a sense that it might be a toxic environment, or it might be like, you know, just something that, that doesn't align with your values. It's okay to move on to the thing that would be a better fit for you. Every studio is trying to find the right fit for their employees, for their team. I always tell people to kind of make a list of, we call them in our studio, like deal breakers versus nice to haves. And it's the idea of what would you say no to? Does it have to be remote right now? Are you willing to relocate? Does it have to be a certain amount of money so that you can make sure you pay rent on time, right? There's there's balances here that you need to figure out for yourself that are going to help identify the jobs that you go for that are the most meaningful for you. So yeah, I, we could talk a lot about that, but Oh, cool. Oh, two more. Yeah. Um, relocation in general seems like a very difficult topic. And I know that you guys were talking about there are like specific types of like animation or film in that whole world in different like sections of the US. So if there's a, a specific type that you want to work for, but you would have to re relocate or um like would you just suggest like desperately looking for remote jobs or would you have to relocate or like what are your opinions on Yeah, every studio is going to treat this differently in terms, because we've seen that even this year where like studios that did say they were remote forever, all of a sudden like, well, actually, let's come back to the office. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so every every studio operates a little bit differently. I will say from a relocation standpoint, and this is again, kind of like a deal breaker versus nice to have situation. I, I relocated. I moved from Massachusetts to California in San Francisco specifically. The only reason why I could make that work is because the company paid for my relocation. So they, I think it was at the time, it was like, I got $5,000 to use that towards anything that went towards my relocation. So whether that was like me traveling out there, you know, driving cross country or something versus like shipping my stuff out versus paying for my first and last month of rent, which is what I chose to use it for because rent is expensive in San Francisco. Those kinds of things made it more viable to say, okay, yes, I'm going to go move out here. If it was like, I got the job, but also I had to figure everything out on my own, I probably would have said no because I didn't have access to resources in that area or I didn't have, you know, the ability. I was very lucky as well that I had a family member who lived like nearby the studio that I was going to go work for. So I could stay there for a month or two and then pick where I was going to live from an apartment standpoint. There's things like that where you have to be willing to see what kinds of compromises you're willing to do. If you're going to a place like LA or, you know, anywhere in California, the benefit there is that there are also a lot of other people who are doing the same thing as you. So it's easy to find other animators who are looking for an apartment and you can go in on something together to make it less expensive. If that's something that you're willing to do, if you're like, yeah, I'll, I'll relocate as long as I can live with another person. Cool. 
If you're like, I want to relocate, I'm okay with that, but I must live on my own, that changes your financial structure. And one other quick note I'll say there is that every state does taxes differently. So what you think you're going to get from a salary perspective is going to be different depending on the state that you go work for. So I can tell you, like when I was in California, I negotiated my salary to be like 80,000. And I was like, oh, that's great. 80,000 is a really great salary. Did not take into account that California took out at the time 35% for taxes. So what I thought my paycheck was coming in was very much not. (laughs) So those are the things that you really need to be mindful of. Like if you're going to relocate, there are costs to that. There are things that you need to negotiate for yourself that will make it more accessible. But there are studios out there that are willing to support those efforts financially. So definitely just something to keep in mind. Yeah. I mean, the only thing I can add to that, my relocation was like two hours. It really wasn't a big deal. But yeah, I would say just have your numbers right. Whatever that is, what are the numbers? Do we first and last, first and last in deposit, you know, look for apartments. What What is that number going to be roughly? What is the moving cost? Call up U-Haul, do a like online calculator thing. How much are you going to spend in gas? Just think about all the expenses and lay them out. Like, this is how much money I need. And then if they're offering you relocation, that means that you're good enough that they really want you, right? Like there's an investment there. So always ask, are you you willing? Are you willing to re like, give me some money to relocate? Otherwise I'm not going to do it. And remote work in our industry is actually pretty common. So, you know, you might uh, like ask about that first. (laughs) Can I do remote work even if I can't come into the studio? Right. There are some studios some, obviously that, that that are pushing the the you know yeah come some back have to specific office, but, policies like I know yeah. I think I think like EA was like when when I worked there it was like you could work remotely for like six months and then you had to come in it, it was nice because it gave people some time to kind of establish what they were going to do if they were going to move out like how they were going to handle that situation so no. there are yeah it, I feel like a lot of times especially as students we think that whatever we're being offered is the thing that's set in stone, you can always negotiate. There's always opportunity in some facet to like ask for the things that you need. The worst case scenario is that they say, we can't do that. And then you say, okay, where do I go from here? But there's no harm in just asking for what you're looking for. And I would have those answers prepared. So if they can't do it, have your answer prepared. Well, the backup plan. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Thank you so much for the offer. I think I'm going to look for something else or okay, if you're not willing to do that, can you do X, Y, Z? Like just keep keep going until you try to get something else. Yeah. Or or give in. That That's fine too. You'd be like, okay, <laughs> can't relocate me. I guess I'll put in the money to relocate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's based on your preferences and your needs. Yeah. yeah. Can we do one more? And then we'll... Yeah. Yeah. Anna, oh, hi, I'm hiding back here. I know you mentioned uh, communication being a big part of what you look for in interviews. Are there any other like things as hirers that you look for in interviews or pay attention for like red flags that we can avoid? Ooh, yes. Red flag number one for me, I can tell a mile away when someone has put a templated cover letter in my face. Mm. It's like a lot of times, because when you apply for jobs, you're like, you know, you're trying to get them out as fast as you can. You try to apply as many as you can. And I can see when you just swap out the company name, which tells me that maybe you don't really care. Maybe you just want to get a job. And so you're like, you you don't really take the time to get to know our company. One thing that we always do for like interviews, for internships and things 
is we have the students come prepared with questions. We like, we ask you like, we're going to leave like five to 10 minutes at, at the end of the interview for your question specifically, whether that's about our internal operations or about like our values or whatever that might be, have those questions prepared. And you should do that for every studio because they'll, they'll all ask you like, oh, do you have any questions for us? And I'm always intrigued by the questions that come that I didn't expect, right? There's usually questions that are like, what does a typical day look like at your studio? Or like, how do you do this thing? But we've gotten questions before that were like, you know, how are you supporting LGBTQIA plus rights in your company? And I was like, I was about to swear, but yes, I'm all supportive of that. So like, <laughs> I was like, yeah, F yeah. So that kind of stuff, like, at least for us really means that like you paid attention to our site because we're a registered safe space in Springfield. Like that kind of stuff is what matters. I think to a lot of companies, they want to know that you've taken the time to learn about the culture of the company. And if you don't see that come through, through social media or wherever it might be, then you ask and you try to gauge that a little bit more deeply. So yeah, that's, that's what I think there. Yeah, I get something? I'm trying to think of any others. Don't steal work. <laughs> you know, we've gotten reels with other people's work that, yeah, you know, pro tip. Copy paste it or, you know, cut the clip and put it in here. And like, wait, like this doesn't add up. How did you do this? And then like, there's just like no continuity in a reel. Also, a reel should be just your best pieces. I think, you know, instinctually you want to put everything you've ever worked on on there. Just put in your best pieces. A short 15, 30 second reel is much yeah. better than a two minute reel that has mediocre work. So 100%. Keep it short, keep it tight. Sometimes some studios will ask, and I would just have this in general of like, a, a, I forget what they call it. It's like a real document, but you would highlight like what you actually did. Sometimes there are shots that you worked on with other people. You could do that within the reel itself, or you could do it as a piece of paper aside, but like, here's exactly what I did. Like I comped or, you know, I lit or I, whatever it is, just make sure it's clear that we're looking at this particular part of this image rather than the image of the whole. Excellent advice. Wow, we covered a lot of ground. Um, <laughs> you guys are amazing. Thank you for pivoting oh. to, topic, to topic so eloquently. Oh, all good. Yeah. Well, on behalf of the class, thank you so much. How about a little... Thank no. you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for having us. We don't hear any of your claps, which is hilarious. Sorry? <laughs> we, we don't hear oh, any of the like claps because Zoom oh, it's like, like it out. large okay, background well, noise. Yeah. It's, oh, there you go. The jazz hands. Um, Always got to have jazz hands. Yeah. So if, if anyone wants to maybe follow up, right? Follow up <laughs> with you sure. guys to, to practice their networking. What's the best way that they might do that? Definitely LinkedIn, I think, is yeah. our number one for connecting. Um, yeah. Yeah. Just hit us up on LinkedIn. We'll connect and go from there. That's, yeah. I think I want to make that the easiest form possible. Yeah. And yeah. also, I would say work on your LinkedIn profile maybe prior, just so that we know who you are and it's not some like random user 507. Like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. That's there are. Yeah. Cause LinkedIn has, I know they only have a limited number of how many times you can do this, but sometimes you can add an, a note to like the connection that you make. So there's things where when I, when I want to do this, I'll always like add a note that's like, oh, so great meeting you at this event like would love to connect more or whatever that might be like it, it helps to start the relationship otherwise you know try to connect hopefully they'll you know accept and then you can message from there but they're 
there are some times where like adding a message goes a long way. 100%. I try to do it every time. Yeah. I know, but LinkedIn limited how many you can do. It's crazy. Then, then just wait until you can do it again. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. All right. Well, thank you so much once again. And your LinkedIn profiles are already shared on our Canvas page. So, oh, so good. Yeah, they already have awesome. that. Great. Awesome. Well, have a great rest of your yeah. day. And Thank and you so much. Thanks as always. Yeah. Good yeah, luck. You Happy too. graduation. Yeah, good luck with everything. Yeah. Yes. Have fun on your final projects and all the good stuff you're yeah. doing. So Don't stress too much. You know, just, just stress just, just enough. enough. It's right. good stress. <laughs> there you go. I feel that. All right, guys. Yeah. Thanks so much. Bye. See ya. Bye. A big thank you as always to eMedia for producing this podcast. Our producer is Jackson Foote. Our music is created by Hidden and licensed through premiumbeat.com. And as always, stay honest. Stay creative. Stay open. Open Pixel Studios. Thanks. We'll see you in the next episode.